wonder what you would do today if everyone in this room knew the worst thing about you. They knew your deepest, darkest sin, the sin or sins you hope no one ever finds out about, whether it be illegal and immoral, significant character flaw that you keep hidden, an ungodly decision you made in the past that, that still haunts you today. Do you think that you would enter into this place today if you knew that we all knew? If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 7. I know that's a pretty sobering beginning, but when we get into the text today, you'll understand why I went there to begin. This morning, we are going to be discussing the story of a woman with a bad reputation. And the bad things about this woman that she had done, it was not a secret. This woman's worst sins were known by those around her in the town in which she lived. And this woman is going to enter into the house of a man who is quite the opposite. A man with a flawless reputation, the most impeccable in the community, in the company of his, his most valued and, and trusted friends. She enters into a place where she is viewed as an outcast, as the scum of the earth, yet she enters in anyway. And the question we need to ask is, why? What is a woman like her doing in a place like this? Well, we're going to answer that question this morning. It's an important one that we need to answer if we are going to understand this story. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. In this passage, Jesus is still ministering in Galilee, and this encounter Luke has recorded for us in this story, in this place, is going to really tell us something important about Jesus as he encounters this respected Pharisee and this woman of the city. Let me first read the story for you and then we'll break it down. Beginning in verse 36, read along with me. Hear the word of God. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. 
And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell, to you, tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray together. Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, Please make us for your sake and for your glory. And in Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. There are five parts to this story. First, you have Simon, not Simon Peter. There were a number of Simons in the New Testament. This is one of the bad ones. Simon the Pharisee. Simon invites Jesus to dinner. That's the first part. Second, a sinner approaches Jesus while with Simon. Third, Simon questions Jesus concerning the sinner. Fourth, Jesus commends the sinner while condemning Simon. And fifth, Jesus forgives the sinner. Notice first, Simon invites Jesus to dinner. Look at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. So so notice what we have here. We're told that Jesus is invited to a, a party at the home of a Pharisee. Now, I read where this would not have been a private party completely closed off to the public. You had to be invited to the table But others could stand nearby and listen in, which is why this woman is able to approach this table while they're there and is not seized and thrown out. It also seems as if these religious leaders were trying to size Jesus up, as they often did. So they were probably allowing this woman to approach just to see what what Jesus might do. Notice that Jesus is not shown respect. That was customary of a religious leader. We we gather throughout the story how they viewed Jesus by the way in which they treated him and what they thought about him. But we learn from Jesus' words later in this passage that he was not greeted with the kiss, which is uh, our version of a handshake or a hug today. No one washed his feet upon entering, which would have been customary. And the host did not anoint him with oil, which was a gesture of respect and hospitality. None of that done for Jesus. 
sure this Pharisee, again, was, was sizing Jesus up to see what kind of man he was. While he had the reputation of a prophet, this Pharisee was holding out and saying, we'll see about that. Immediately here, we're shown by the actions of this Pharisee how we are not to approach Jesus, right? We're not to approach him like this Pharisee does here with skepticism, putting him to the test, sizing him up in pride, failing to see his own sinfulness and need for Jesus. We're not to approach Jesus like this, thinking we deserve, believing we have earned a place at the table with him. I mean, contrast this with the, with, uh, the centurion we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Remember, he said, I'm not even worthy to have you in my home. I'm, I'm not worthy to go to you and be in your presence or to have you in my house. Not the attitude of the Pharisee here. He believed he had earned a place at the table with Jesus and with the godly. He believed he had earned a spot, possibly a significant one in God's kingdom without Jesus. And he wasn't even sure if Jesus belonged there. Wow. Not to approach Jesus in this way, but the way the woman does here. Point number two. After Simon invites Jesus to dinner, notice second, a sinner approaches Jesus while with Simon. As Jesus is reclining at the table with these impressive religious leaders, a woman of the city, a woman with a bad reputation approaches Jesus. Now, you have to realize in this day, in this culture, all a woman had was her reputation. If that was tainted in whatever way, that woman was ruined in society for good. She didn't have a chance of making it. It was a very unforgiving society. And we learn often from Jesus' words a very hypocritical one as well. She comes to that place on that night not to size Jesus up. She seems to know by faith who he is. Now, we don't know how she knows. We don't know the encounters she may have had with Jesus before this time. But she knows by faith who he is. She knows how precious Jesus is, which is why she brings him her most prized possession. She has risked facing ridicule by the most respected men in the community to be in the presence of Jesus, whom she knows will not ridicule her and cast her aside and cast her out. Look at it again. Look what happens. Verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. The way they sat at table in this day was with their head turned inward and their feet turned outward. And we're told that this woman learns that, that Jesus is in this house. So she goes to this house, comes to this gathering, approaches the table, approaches him, stands behind him. And as she is standing behind him, she is weeping so much so that she is wetting his feet with her tears. Meaning she's sobbing. 
Why is she sobbing? Well, she obviously knows in faith who Jesus is, that He is someone very, very special. His presence in this place, His presence on earth is significant, and she knows it. Tom Schreiner, in his notes on this, says this. He says, Her tears are tears, both of thankfulness and also of fervent awe, as she senses the presence of God in the person of Jesus. She does something here that passes right over us, but would not have been lost upon many in the audience in that day. She lets her hair down. And she wipes the tears with her hair. Certain rabbis in that day told husbands that they had a right to divorce their wives if their wives let their hair down in front of another man. This woman doesn't care. All eyes are on her, but to her there's no one else in the room other than Jesus. She lets her hair down, wipes her tears from Jesus' feet with her hair, kisses his feet and anoints them with precious ointment. These perfumes were very, very precious to Jewish women in this day. We learn that from the writings of the rabbis and from the teaching, uh, the writings of, of the historian Josephus as well, that these perfumes were the most prized possession of a Jewish woman. And here she is emptying it out on Jesus' feet. That's how you approach Jesus. Not like the Pharisee, believing you've earned a place at God's table in His kingdom through your own acts of righteousness. Not skeptically putting Jesus to the test, trying to size Him up, but humbly in faith. This woman comes to Jesus, looks to Him, is broken before Him, trusts in Him, believes on Him, and makes this great sacrifice to Him and for Him. That's the right way. That's the only way to approach Jesus. Well, this confuses this Pharisee. So he questions Jesus to himself concerning this, this woman. He shows his doubt concerning Jesus after this encounter. Notice the next point. Simon questions Jesus concerning the sinner. This Pharisee who had invited Jesus seems as if he had his mind made up about him, but believes here he's been proven right in his beliefs about him because of these events. We're told in verse 39, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So he, he asked this he makes this statement to himself, probably in his heart here. He questions Jesus' position, his person, as a true prophet. In this man's mind, if Jesus were, he would have known the reputation of this woman. And he would not have allowed for her to touch him. Well, Jesus shows that he is a prophet, more than a prophet, right? By addressing Simon, what he has said to himself in his own heart. He knows what's in Simon's heart. And he also knows what's in this woman's past. He reveals that he knows that. It's not lost on him. He addresses the fact that her sins are many. 
That's not lost on Jesus. But there is something lost on this Pharisee. Jesus shows Simon here that while he may have a respectable reputation outwardly, his heart is far from God inwardly. He also shows that the reverse is true concerning this woman. He shows that while this woman up to this point in her life has had a poor reputation outwardly, she has been forgiven. She has been transformed inwardly. Jesus tells Simon that her heart now belongs to him. That leads us right into our next point. Point number four. Notice how Jesus commends the sinner while condemning Simon. Look at verse 40. And Jesus answering what's in Simon's heart said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. He said, a, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. By the way, that's, that's 10 times greater, the debt, right? And a denarii was a day's worth of wages. So you do the math there. Verse 42. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, now I imagine here that Jesus' eyes are fixed on this woman, but he's addressing Simon. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many. Does he address the fact that she's a sinner? Yes. Does he overlook those sins? Say no. He says her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Her debt, which is great has been paid in full. Her reputation, which is bad, is repaired. Her position in life, which is apart from and opposed to God, has changed. She's been restored to Him. For she loved much. Now, why has she loved much? We learn in the next line, it's because she's been forgiven much. He says, but he who has been is forgiven little loves little. That there is for Simon. You see, Simon had the right answer, but the wrong application. He answered correctly that the one who had the larger debt canceled would love the one canceling the debt even more. However, he failed to see Jesus' role and the woman of the city's role and the role he played in this parable. The application was lost on him. He didn't get it. His brain was working, but his heart was callous. And the ironic thing we learn here of Simon is that of the two in the room, he is the one who needs Jesus the most and does not see his need for him. He thinks he has arrived spiritually. His reputation is good compared to this woman of the city. The sad thing about Simon is he is not looking at himself in comparison to God. 
In the parable Jesus told, there were two debtors, right? We can look at it again. Do we need to look at it again? There were two, right? And both debts were great. Both debts need to be paid. We learn in this story there are two debtors. Simon and the woman of the city. The problem is only one realized it. Folks, it is a fatal flaw to view sin as simply outward acts that we do and not the inward condition of our hearts. It is a fatal flaw to view your standing before God by comparing yourself to others and to the opinions of society. It is a fatal flaw to look with greater contempt on the sins of others compared to you than to look at the wickedness of your own heart in comparison to God. Simon failed to do this, and he missed it. He missed the fact that he is sinful and in desperate need of Christ. One of the saddest details of this story is that Simon's condition was not as bad as this woman's. It was worse. He was a sinner and didn't know he was. I read where one commentator, when commenting on the hardness of Simon's heart, said, Simon could not see what this woman had become. All he could see was what she once was. And Simon could not see what he was because he was misled to believe by those in society that he was something he was not. Sad, sad story that is being told again and again and again. Talked about it last week in the story of the prodigal. We often focus on the, the younger son who goes away and squanders his inheritance. But the focus in that parable is on the older brother. The religious leaders are, are the ones he's addressing. And they're the older brothers saying, we've never left you. We've always been by your side. We deserve to be here. We deserve this inheritance. We deserve a place at the table. We've grown up in church. We've never left. We're not like these people out here. We, we have earned a place at the table. Society tells us we're good. Society tells us we're moral. We're a lot moral than these people out here. It's a fatal flaw. To fail to look. At the condition of your heart. The religious leaders did not. And they missed it. The older brother did not. And he's on the outs. He's on the outside of the party. Have you come to the realization. That you're a sinner in need of rescue. Have you come to see yourself for who you truly are. In comparison to Christ. Or are you relying upon what other people say of you and comparing yourself to those you outclass morally? The lesson here is not to be like the Pharisee, but to be like the woman of the city. That's the lesson. I tell you, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how good and moral people say you are, when you compare yourself inside out to God's standard, and when the Spirit of God opens your eyes through His Word to the state of things in your life compared to God, you start to look a whole lot more like the woman of the city than you do the Pharisee, and even worse. 
Next point. After being invited to dinner by Simon and approached by a sinful woman of the city, questioned by Simon, after commending the sinner while condemning Simon, notice Jesus forgives the sinner. While Simon could not see what this woman had become because all he could see was what she once was, Jesus provides insight here into who this woman is now. Look at what he says in verse 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. That's what she had become, folks. Forgiven. Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? This woman bowed before me, believing on me, looking to me, trusting in me, forgiven. Forgiven. How do you know? The evidence. Look at her focus. Look at her tears. Look at her affections. Look at her joy. Look at her faith. Look at how she loves. You know why she loves great? Because she's been forgiven much. Therefore, she loves much. Sadly, this Pharisee missed it. So did the rest at the table. They did not get it. Look at verse 49. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? They don't believe it. They missed it. But Jesus not even focused on them anymore. This woman who is just acted as if Jesus is the only one in the room. She has Jesus' full attention now, and he's only addressing her. And look at what he says, verse 50. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So good. Folks, what saved this woman? Was it her tears? What she does for Jesus here? Is it her act of humility, wiping her tears from his feet with her hair? Was her salvation purchased through the precious ointment she pours out on Jesus' feet? Now what saved her? Her faith. Her faith. She is forgiven by her faith alone in Christ alone. Are you trusting in Christ alone? For your salvation today. If not my prayer for you. Is that God would change your heart. That he would do the work. Needed in you. To change you from the inside out. And that you would respond to that work. By trusting in Christ alone for salvation. That's the reason that Christ came. He became one of us took on flesh, lived among us, obeyed perfectly for us, and laid down that life, that perfect life he lived in our place at Calvary. He died a painful death on a shameful cross as our substitute and as our perfect sacrifice was buried. Then he rose again so that if we forsake our sin and believe on him, we can be forgiven of sin and restored to a right relationship with God through him. That's the reason he came. Christ came for this reason. He came for people like this woman of the city in Luke chapter 7. He came for sinners like you and me. If you're here this morning and not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, now is the time. Today is the day.
to do that. Repent, believe on Christ, and be saved. Let's pray together.